Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm looking forward to this time together with you. I hope your day's been going well. We're kind of getting to be towards that end of the week time, and it's kind of nice that we're going to have a weekend in front of us. And nice to be able to rest a little bit. You just want to make sure you don't do anything that leads you to lazy. And that's going to be the topic today with my guest, Scott Hubbard. He's in the studio with me. Scott is a, a writer, and he is over at Desiring God. Org. He's a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary, and he's written a wonderful piece uh, for Desiring God called The Sluggard in Me. So I think he's going to get kind of vulnerable with me today, which I'm looking forward to. And it's Four Lies That Lead to Lazy. As I was reading the article that he wrote, one thing that just jumped off the page with me, and now I can't find it, was... <laughs> Where did it go? Oh, the image of God was never meant to yawn through life. Yeah. So, Scott, welcome. Yeah, good to be here. So you're going to get a little vulnerable today with with us, aren't you? I am, hopefully in the spirit of what God intends to do in each of us as we read through uh, the Proverbs in particular and this figure, the sluggard, who, uh, what a a good name, the sluggard. (laughs) And he comes up again and again, maybe, oh, between six and ten times, maybe even more. I can't quite remember. But he shows up all over the Proverbs, and I think we're meant to see ourselves in him, at least to a certain degree. So when you say there are four lies that lead to lazy, mm-hmm. um, I'm not I'm not, I'm, I'm not doubting that. I'm surprised <laughs> there's only four. <laughs> oh, there's more I was than thinking four. more like 4,000. <laughs> yeah, it's not the four okay. that lead to lazy, but just here's, here's four that okay. we see in the sluggard and can learn from. Well, let's start. Let's learn what these four are. That'd be great. Yes. So first, just by way of introduction, uh, one of my favorite Old Testament commentators is named Derek Kidner. He died, I think, back in 2008. But man, just uh, if you want to read someone who has a uh, a way with words and an insight into the biblical text, Derek Kidner is so good. And here's how he describes the sluggard. He says, the wise man, as he reads about the sluggard, the wise man knows that the sluggard is no freak, but as often as not, an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, and too many postponements. It has all been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. <laughs> wow. I love that. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. The sluggard, even though he is a figure, uh, a ridiculous figure in the Proverbs, he is ridiculous so that in these drawn out, magnified qualities of laziness, we can see the seeds in ourselves. And so. What I did with this article was just try to pull out what some of those excuses and refusals and postponements are or what those lies are. And so the first one is, I need just a little more. I'm going to write this down. (laughs) 
Not that I'm going to refer to it again, but I just thought I'd write it down. <laughs> I have a friend that I know would yeah, love this. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Asking for a friend. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. I need just a little bit more. Yeah. So this comes up more than once in Proverbs. You, we, we hear the sluggard say this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That's <laughs> kind of the sluggard's motto. And it is a very reasonable phrase that, or that word little is very reasonable. And then the phrase, yeah, I just, just need a little more, just, just one more, just one more show, just one more snooze cycle, just one more uh, piece of pizza or few minutes here at the table. And of course, a little is a little. And if there's a little indulgence here and there, it doesn't end up adding up to much. But the problem with the sluggard is that today's little adds on to tomorrow's little, which adds on to the morning and afternoon and evening's little and ends up creating a stack that's much more than little. (laughs) So the sluggard in saying a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, we're meant to see this man loses by what one commentator calls small surrenders. So small surrenders are what turn a normal person into a sluggard, an ordinary person to entertain those postponements and refusals, turning him into a sluggard gradually, bit by bit, little by little. Little by little and bit by bit, and then uh, small surrenders. That gets all of our attention. We, oh, yeah. We get that. It is. It's a, it's a daily, perhaps even an hourly thing. I think about this a lot at work since I have a computer job. And having a computer job is good in some ways, and it presents a host of temptations in other ways. Because, oh, yeah, sure, why not just check your email again? Why not just look at your text messages again? Why not just, oh, check the score of that game from last night? Um, oh, yeah, what was that again? Yeah. And those can just add up over the course of a day, and you get to the end of it, and you think... What did I just do? (laughs) Every one of them felt so little, and it was in itself, but, you know, two dozen of them don't become so little anymore. Yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Keep talking, Scott. (laughs) This is me. I I feel like I need this reminder regularly. Okay, good. And that there's an encouraging alternative to it, because you know what? if, If an ordinary man or woman becomes a sluggard by little and little, then a sluggard becomes a hard worker also by little and little. <laughs> so those very same opportunities that are a little, uh, that, that provide an opportunity for a small surrender, they also provide an opportunity for a small success that by God's grace will build on top of each other. All of this is by grace, we know. And as those little gracious victories build on top of one another, God shapes us into more of the image of our hardworking Christ. And so there is an encouraging alternative to it, which is, okay, all of those little moments are not so little after all. And so what you do with little matters a whole bunch. And over the course of a day, over a week, and definitely over the course of a month and over a year, if you are walking consistently and saying, yes, God, help me in this little moment to work hard in a way that pleases you, man, going to become a hard worker. Really good. Let's move on to the next lie. Next lie, there's always tomorrow. So we read you this. Actually, you have an excellent point there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's true, actually. Thank you for there that. I'm tomorrow. writing that down. Let's yeah. go to break. I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this pull this from Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So the image here, we're meant to picture the sluggard uh, in his bed or at his table while all of his neighbors are out in the field plowing. Mm-hmm. And uh, plowing's hard work. It's also a colder time of year in Israel when you would plant. And so there are all sorts of reasons why he wouldn't want to get up out of his bed or get up out of his seat and go do the hard work of plowing. And one of the reasons is that, well, of course, there's always tomorrow. There's tomorrow. Why not do it tomorrow rather than today? Today's cold. Today's windy. Let's yeah push it to tomorrow. That's very reasonable, too. (laughs) (laughs) You're making a lot of sense, Scott Hubbard. I've got no complaints with you today. Normally I have complaints with you, but not today. Yeah, that's right. And um, there is a parallel, is there not, between the uh, what the sluggard would have discovered. I mean, there's a there's a real just uh, inescapable reality that eventually autumn is going to give way to winter. Eventually the ground is going to be too hard to plow and the, the season for plowing is gone and you cannot get it back until next year, which means there there's not going to be a harvest. So there's that real hard reality and there's a softer reality in our own lives isn't there that when we say there's always tomorrow or i'll just do this tomorrow very often tomorrow proves too late or at least not as good as today so examples i include in the article are just like uh there's a conversation you need to have today and the more time goes on the harder it is going to be to have that conversation. And tomorrow, yeah, you can have the conversation tomorrow, but man, is it going to be a lot harder. It's going to be more awkward. Uh, Classic in school, of course, every freshman uh, realizes after their first semester that I really should have started that essay last week. (laughs) Yes, there was next week, there was tomorrow, but mm, I would be in a better spot if I had started this earlier. And we can just go down the line. That is uh, just so manifestly true from our experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of this isn't, I can uh, see some people thinking, this is just common sense. I mean, you don't need to be a Christian to <laughs> think, to come to these conclusions. And, and in one sense, that's true. It, it is common sense. And God often, especially in the book of the Proverbs, uh, shocks us awake through common sense that in our sin we... Uh, have grown impervious to we are uh increasingly insensible and unreasonable in our in our sin and sometimes god just uses common sense and then the spirit to empower us to live it out scott hubbard is my guest and scott you have me all fired up right now to do my spring cleaning this weekend <laughs> good i'm not putting it off any Don't, longer. no 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 do your spring cleaning in fall that's the lesson <laughs> that's here. what i'm gonna do thank yeah. you uh, let me take a short break we come back more with scott hubbard his article is the sluggard in me four lies that lead to lazy we appreciate this conversation even if it's feeling a little uh, difficult for some of us we'll be right back listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. All 
that guitar player is Tommy Emmanuel, and he never put off practicing. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> no, no You don't way. play that way if you, you don't, don't practice. You don't get like that. No, no you, you don't. don't. Scott Hubbard's my guest. We're talking about the idea of the sluggard in him. I'm not even saying it's in me. It's in you, Scott. It's <laughs> your article. It's fine with me. Yeah, four lies that me. lead to lazy. We've covered two already. First one is I just need a little more, and the second one was there's always tomorrow. And what's number three? Number three, I would be putting myself at risk. So this one comes from one of the more ridiculous statements of the sluggard in Proverbs, which comes up again twice. He says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) Which even for someone in that time in that part of the world would have sounded ridiculous. There is not a lion roaming the streets of Jerusalem. So uh, to, to pull this down to our level, uh, we can just consider it, I would be putting myself at risk. And there are all kinds of ways that we can uh, use that as our excuse that is not actually that good of an excuse. So we can uh, use a, a little scratch in the throat and say, I should really take the day off of work. Uh, even if I have the opportunity to work from home, we can take a little tiredness that we feel and choose to nap instead of mow. Uh, or we can just get out of work and think, man, it's been a long day. I just shouldn't go to small group. Yeah. Right. I'll be putting myself at risk. I need the rest. I need to, need to re- rejuvenate. And I know that there are, is a need for qualification and caution here because, yes, we really do need to rest. Our bodies need that. God made us for rest. There is a way to righteously rest. And sometimes the best thing that we can do, one of the best ways we can please God in some moments is to rest. But there is also a tendency in many of us, and certainly in the sluggard, to take any kind of inner resistance that we feel and to label that as a reason to rest. When we come up against inner resistance, when we're trying to do a hard task, we take that as a reason that we're pushing ourselves too hard. When, in fact, God made us to work through that kind of inner resistance on a regular basis. And that is part of what makes diligence diligence is saying, yes, I don't feel like it. I'm not feeling it right now, but I'm going to pray I'm going to press into the promises of God. I'm going to move forward into the hard but good thing. I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to love my church. I'm going to uh, meet up with this person. And I'm going to trust that God has good things for me on the other side. And it's going to shape me more into, again, into the image of Jesus. I like that as well. I'll be putting myself at risk. All right. How about number four? One of the four lies that leads to lazy. Number four is, what do you know about the pressures I'm under? Thank you. You're finally realizing <laughs> what I'm going through. Finally get some sympathy around here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know. I can tell. You're a, you're a, you're a, burdened, you're a burdened man. Yeah. But, but hear this. It may be a lie. <laughs> so Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And this made me remember a conversation from a long time ago. Well before I was married, well before I had children, I was talking with a mentor of mine who at that time was a husband and had three kids and was a pastor. And I told him, I can remember telling him, I just need more alone time. 
And he responded back pretty quickly and said, you don't need it. (laughs) And in that moment, I can still remember the kind of way I tensed up on the inside and uh, not in so many words, but the way I was feeling was, how dare you? (laughs) Don't you see the pressures I'm under? What What do you understand about the pressures I'm under? Which is laughable, which is why I'm laughing now. Because he understood very well about the pressures I was under and many more that I had no idea about. But in our sluggishness, we can often think that our own burdens are the heaviest burdens. Our own excuses are the best excuses. And our own uh, ways of relieving anxiety and getting rest are the best diversions. When in reality, often God is calling people with far greater burdens going through far more than we are to walk faithfully. He's empowering them to do that. And the faithful, loving thing to do in our various callings would be to keep pressing forward. So I can often, you know, there's a way to talk about laziness, talk about sluggishness in different words. It's, it's, uh, you know, taking care of myself. It's um, getting the rest I need, that, those sorts of things. And again, we have to be careful because those things are necessary and mm-hmm. there's totally the right place for them. But perhaps we should also have a category when we're telling ourselves those things. Uh, or is this sluggishness? That could be a good question mm-hmm. to ask. And as, as Christians, we belong to Jesus. Jesus was not a sluggard by any stretch of the imagination. That's right. He wasn't. So there's an interesting dynamic here, isn't there? Because on the one hand, the message of the gospel is not work. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel to put it in the words of Matthew 11, is come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the offer of Jesus in the gospel. He's going to go ahead and do the work that we could never do. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to bear the burden of our sins. He's going to rise from the dead. Also that faith alone is what we need to be justified in him. So there's that glorious reality. Mm -hmm. And then the also glorious follow-up to that is that he gives us his very own spirit who gradually forms us into the image of Jesus. And the image of Jesus is the image of hard and faithful work, the kind of work that God created us for in the garden. (laughs) So Jesus doesn't call us to uh, uh, receive his forgiveness and then take refuge in laziness. He calls us to receive his forgiveness and then walk forward into the image of God that he made us to embody by the very power of his spirit within us. So Paul in 2 Thessalonians can say to people who are idle, to people who are sluggish, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work. There is something about being in Christ that calls for hard work and mm-hmm. to put that inner sluggard to death. That's a lot of wisdom, God, from a younger type person, <laughs> such as yourself. Well, I, I uh, have a lot of experience with these lies. So. Okay, okay, good. So uh, you said uh, long before you got married, and I realize that you have not been married for very long. No, only uh, about three years. Three, three years. years in January. Yeah, with a second child on the way. That's right. So fantastic. And I would love to hear uh, some of your wisdom and encouragement for a young couple getting married tomorrow named Mallory and Noah. Yes. They're going to be married tomorrow. What advice might you have for them? Well, first, congratulations. That is uh, 
I can remember the eve of my own wedding and what an exciting, thrilling feeling it was, and it ought to be. So the first advice is just to, as many people have probably told you, is to soak it all in, take it in, realize you're not going to remember everything, but enjoy and catch as much glory from God as you can tomorrow in the faces of your guests, in the faces of each other, and especially in the uh, Savior who has called you two together. And then, you know, after the wedding day, weeks, months after, one thing that I think people did tell me, uh, but that needed to be reinforced again and again. I'm going to draw a parallel here to um, an experience that a lot of us have in the church. A lot of us come into a church and we have a really ideal picture of what the bride of Christ ought to be. And then over time, we start to see some of the bride's blemishes, some of her warts, some of the ways that she doesn't reach up to the ideal that we have in our mind. And in that moment, we can feel like we can feel disillusioned. We can feel like what happened, something went wrong. When in reality, God is calling us to walk in the beauty of being part of his church by looking now like more like Jesus in the way that we relate to her in tenderheartedness, in patience, in bearing with one another's burdens and forgiving each other. And there's a similar thing in marriage for me three years in, but it won't take anyone long to get to this point, <laughs> is to realize that this person and this thing called marriage doesn't match up to the very greatest ideal. We ought, we ought always to be striving for it, and by God's grace, we're going to get closer and closer the longer we're married. Any couple is married who is pursuing Jesus together, but very soon there will be those shortcomings, there will be those sins, and that is not because something has necessarily gone wrong, but because now God is calling you to walk in the beautiful call of bearing each other's burdens yeah. and forgiving each other as Jesus did. Beautifully said. Scott, would you uh, pray a blessing for Noah and Mallory for tomorrow? I will. Yeah, thank you. Father God, you are the maker of marriage. <laughs> And we thank you that you brought Noah and Mallory. You are bringing Noah and Mallory together in marriage. We trust tomorrow. We pray that you would give them a vivid picture of the glory of Jesus and the church, that Jesus laid down his life for his bride. And we pray that in the weeks and months and years ahead, you would then give them power to live out that vision of Jesus and the church especially in the moments when it's hard, that in those moments they would bear each other's burdens, they would walk patiently with each other, they would forgive each other, they would remind each other in word and in deed who their Savior is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Scott Hubbard. Really nice to have you here. I always look forward to having you on the show and in the studio. Great to be here. Thanks, Thank you so much. Scott Hubbard has been my guest. You can go to desiringgod.org to learn more about Scott. And you can get a copy of his uh, lesson that we just talked about now on the four lies that lead to lazy. We'll take a break. When we come back, Tom Berkowitz is in studio. He's going to be here. We're going to talk about Job and COVID and the world. It's all going to be interesting. Be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. 
drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back. So glad to have Tom Berkowitz with me today, my friend in studio. Although he did not bring Marsha, his wife. She's taking care. You might want to put that in front of your mouth. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. <laughs> She's taking care given. of... Uh, you put your microphone in front of your mouth. Yeah. My bad. She's taking care of our youngest grandson. And okay. since she didn't know what I was going to talk about, and I didn't know what I was going to talk about until this morning. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah, so what are you going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Well, I thought we were going to talk about Job and COVID. I thought that was a real interesting topic. Yeah, God, Job. and Yeah, exactly. We've been studying that at Community Bible Study, and, you know, I'm just blessed. We have 480 people. Nice. 250 in person, and what does that mean, 230? I don't do math yeah. on the show live. 230 yeah. on Zoom. So we've been... Really slow going through Job. We had six weeks to finish the book. And, you know, so we're almost done. It's ex- exhausting to do it that way. But I got to tell you, Job has really been a blessing. When I started off this year, in case I forgot to cite someone, I said I use three Michaels and a Craig as my resources. I use Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. Michael Wise, who's a professor yeah, here, here, and Michael Heiser, and the Craig is Craig Keener. I'm good friends with two of them, and the other two are good friends with so many of my friends, I feel like I'm friends with them. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah, and, and Michael Heiser and Craig Keener are regular guests on this show, as you know, so I would consider those two my friends as well. Yes, and last week I was stuck on something, and our good friend Mitch Glazer and I were on the phone preparing for his uh visit here to the Twin City, and he helped me through. It was it was about 4.30, and I was going to teach at 7 o'clock that night, so he saved me. Yeah, you're doing a lot of name dropping today, Tom, and I just got to warn you, it's not polite to name drop. Pacino told me that at De Niro's Barbecue. Okay. Yeah, so I thought I'd... Well, when you're... So far down on the totem pole was me. But, you know, I found a new, what do you call scholar that helped me understand this, and she pulled the whole thing together for me. Yeah. Well-known name, Cece Johnson. Okay. Cece is my uh, seven-year-old granddaughter. <laughs> and she she's such a beautiful little girl with the biggest brown eyes. She's number three of four kids for my daughter, Trish. Trisha and my son-in-law, Corey, and she's the type B in a hyper type A family. And Cece was having trouble sleeping and, and breathing, so they had to take out her tonsils and her adenoids. So just that whole experience taught me all about Job. And so Cece had to be coaxed into this. So the surgeon came in and talked to her. Cece, this is going to be great. I'm going to be with you the whole time. We'll get through this. I've done it many times. I even did it for my for my own children. You're going to be so happy when we get this done after you recover. And so she said yes. So she's going. You know, she's. They bring her into the into the operating room. 
the anesthesiologist administers the, the drugs, and bam, she's out. She wakes up in the recovery room. Mom's there. Everything is good. Four days later, they meet with the surgeon again. He walks to the door, and she looks at him with those big brown eyes. You were a no-show. You said you were going to be there with me, but you were a no-show. And she wouldn't let it go. Wow. And, well, Cece, I was there. Who do you think took out those uh, those tonsils, those big tonsils? I don't know, but you were a no-show. So... I started thinking about that, and that's the way we treat God when we're going through big trials. Where are you, God? We're in the midst of a pandemic. Where are you, God? Friends are dying. Friends are—I've had cousin, uh, one cousin, I don't know if he ever recovered, and the other one died my age. And, you know, so things are happening. So where are you, God? And you know something? He's right there with us. So she really helped me understand that, that even in the midst of, of trials, God is right with us. And, you know, I'm talking to myself when I'm teaching Job. So I'm going through some issues and, and you know, I'm not inviting all my friends into my issues, but I'm praying to God and fasting and, you know, I'm just striving, but things are getting worse and worse. And Marsha was out of town at a funeral a couple weeks ago, and she called me on her way back and said, how are things going? And I just bled all over her. Things are going worse. Where is God? He's not hearing my prayers. He's not answering me. I cried out to him this morning, yesterday. I didn't eat. I cried out. Nothing. Nothing. Where are you, God? I'm your servant. I'm working for you. I need your help. I can't keep going. So after I bled all over Marsha, she said, you know, this is going to work out. We're walking through this together. So I hung up. And now I'm feeling guilty because she was in a good mood and I just put her in a bad <laughs> mood. <laughs> and I opened up my Bible and I opened it up to, to Psalms 34. And I started reading The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are towards their cry for help. So he's there, or don't I believe that? If I believe that, he's got to be there. And then it goes on, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. And I know God is there. And then I have two more. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saved those who... Who are crushed in spirit. And finally, the afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord rescues him from them all. And I said, God, I am righteous. Positionally, that doesn't mean I don't sin, but I am righteous by the blood of Jesus. And if I do sin, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. So I'm righteous, but I can't see him. And I'm wondering, where are you, God? And our good friend, I'll give him a call out, uh, Glenn Pickering, keeps, every time I walk out on the ledge, he brings me back in. And he's really been helping me over the last several weeks. So I think he's God's gift to me. So I'm starting to see him around. But then Cece put everything together for me. She goes back on her six-week uh, um 
revisit, you know, so she's finally discharged from Mm -hmm. the surgeon. Everything's good. She's smiling, bouncing off the walls. And she, as they're leaving, she looked up at the doctor and she says, do you have a card? (laughs) A seven-year-old, he said, yes. seven-year-old asked the doctor for a card? Why do you want the card? And she said, I may have to call you. Oh, that is so funny. And, you know, that's where it is. I was treating God like a transaction. Give me your business card. I'll call you when I need you. If I don't call you, don't worry about me. I'm fine. But that God does not looking for a transaction. He's really looking for a relationship. And I'm kind of like my granddaughter through this whole thing. It was like I was on anesthesia and things, you know, where is God? Well, I'm out and he's right there. I need to start looking for him. He wants a relationship with me. And I'm in men's groups. And, of course, I have my my walls up, and I don't let them in. And Glenn's trying to teach me to be more vulnerable, but I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, a week ago, a woman that's... We've been in relationship with for 42 years when we first became Christians. She's always been a friend. She's been in so many studies. She's in my CBS. I mean, and she just blessed us. And I saw that as a hand of God. And then this last week, you know, the men, I have a good habit of when people ask questions. I have all these walls and I don't let them in. Well, this guy has one of those unique direct approaches that he finds this spiritual kink in your armor and he puts his sword in there. (laughs) I'm I'm talking metaphorically. And he breaks it down. And the next thing I know, I'm being helped. These guys are ministering to me. And that's what Job is all about. Instead of his friends coming and dumping on him, friends should be there to help one another. And... We shouldn't be on a transaction with God. We need to be in a relationship. Too often, we treat things like Aristotle. Aristotle, the great uh, philosopher, everything with him was cause and effect. And that's the kind of relationship we have with God. And that's the way Job's friends viewed what was happening to Job, cause and effect. But we need to start thinking like Isaiah because he recognizes God is supreme and that he permits things to happen to us. We make choices and he permits them, but he is sovereign and he's going to be there with you. And that's why he wrote this in, in Isaiah 30. It starts at verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Can you see God is just longing to be gracious to you? And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. So he's not looking for a transaction. He's looking for a relationship. And he'll wait there for a long time. Look what he did with Job. He waited and he waited And he waited until Job could vent enough to come to God. And then he says this in verse 20, Although the Lord has given you the bread of deprivation 
and the water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself. But your eyes will see your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to your left. And that's the relationship. That's how we should approach God when we're ministering to others or when we need ministry. Not like Aristotle, cause and effect, but like Isaiah. Absolutely bending his knee before the the supreme judge of the world, saying, away from me, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. But God purified it and brings him in. And look at the words that God speaks through him. He's longing to be with us. So that's where I'm at. I'll come up for air now. I love it. You know, for a guy who wasn't entirely sure what he was going to talk about today, you're doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I might use it again Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> if it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you're test driving it out on my audience. Thanks, Tom. All right. Tom Berkowitz is my guest. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and continue our discussion about God, Job. Lots more to come. Be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm back with my friend Tom Berkowitz. Tom is a teaching leader at Community Bible Study in Edina, Minnesota, which I still think you can go online. So if there's somebody listening to the show right now in Canada or Connecticut or anywhere, they want to hear you teach on Monday nights, they can go online and do it. I think I might be speaking out of turn. I think I am. You got to register and you have to register and we have a gatekeeper because Uh, I only have so many small group leaders, but there's, there's always people coming and going so they can, uh, maybe next year they can sign up. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, we're going to finish up Job in two weeks and then we're going into Joshua and, Who knows what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. The idea behind Job is God is absolutely sovereign. He's in control. And he's very concerned about his name. How does his name come off? And he's looking for us to vindicate his name in the world. I mean, how many people, how many times have you heard, well, God doesn't exist because this bad thing happened to me? How could he let that happen? Or he doesn't hear our prayers. If what you're going to do is just pray, well, he doesn't hear our prayers anyway. Well, he's looking for us, his body of believers, to be his light. Jesus said really clearly in Matthew uh, 5.16, Let your light shine before people in such a way that they see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So how does that work with where we are with COVID and 
uh, a pandemic. We have uh, political strife. We have differences of opinion, and everybody's at everyone's throat. We're called to be a light. We're called to minister to them. It's not about us. It's about it's about God. A while back, I met with a man who absolutely believed that the church has replaced Israel with all their promises. And now they belong to church in Israel. They get to keep the curses, but we have the promises. Now, that is such a, it's, most of the time is very anti-Semitic. So I, do I take offense or do I sit there and do I talk to him? My, my pet line is let's see where we agree. And we agree that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came, that he's the son of God, that he came to this earth. He died for us, shed his blood for us. God resurrected him from the uh, grave. So he defeated death and he ascended into heaven. We agree on that. And let's start there and let's see if we can work through our differences in other places. I love the prophet prophet Amos. Uh, If I can find Amos there. In Amos 3, and I'm reading from the um, New Living Translation this time. In verse 2, it says, or verse 3, it says, Can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? So that's a, let's agree on something, and let's see if we can walk together, and let's see if we can come together and have some kind of agreement. Because I told the person, if you look at this through the eyes of, of politics, if you make this a political thing, you're going to either hate the Jews or you're going to have enmity with the person that's doing that. But if you look at it biblically, if we can reason that way, we'll end up loving like God has told us to love and would be a light. Mm-hmm. So it's what we're called to do. So we got people hurting. Does it matter if a person's hurting and they have COVID, whether vaccinated or not vaccinated? No, they have COVID. So let's love them. Let's not hit them over the head because they didn't or they they did. Let's love them and let's walk with them and see what we can do to help them. That's what we're called to do. That's our our duty in in, in this world. We're called to be God's ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And pushing the world to come to us. I mean, 20, I've been the teaching director at Community Bible Study for 20, this is my 23rd year. Before that, I was a small group leader, Marsha and I. And the first group we had, we got a new person the second night. And the third word out of his mouth was an anti-Semitic slur. And then he made another one. Now, I could have taken offense at that, but it's not about me, and it wasn't about Marsha. We're there to study God's Word. And the vision of of CBS is to see lives transformed through the Word of God. So I reached out to him, and we started talking. I could have chose to be offended, or I could choose 
to let me get to know this guy and find out. He wasn't anti-Semitic. He just had no social graces. And what he was saying was from his view of the Bible. And when we talked that through and when we worked on it over a couple of years, we became friends. So, I mean, that's our choice. And that's hard to do. Yeah. We put people in categories very quickly, don't we? Right. And that's what Job's friends did. What They started the first, they started off great. They got there, they saw their friend, they, he was so repulsive that they didn't recognize him, and they sat there seven days in silence. I wonder what they were thinking about, because once they started opening their mouth, it was accusatory. Where does that get them but a fight with Job? If they would have just nurtured him, just walked with him and ministered to him, of course, we wouldn't have a great book then, but... Uh, <laughs> That's what we're called to do. We're not called to hammer on someone. We have enough of that yeah, going on. That's for sure. So as we wrap up our time here, Tom, I think we've got some great conclusions we can come to. I think you've just given one of them. Let's be gentle and loving and ambassadors of Christ. Right. With those who we are around. Show right. them the love of Christ first before anything. And think about this. I read ahead in Job, so I know what the end says. Job's friends just wailed on him. Some of the things they said was so harsh and so hurting. But at the end, what happened? God said, pray for him. So Job's friends came to minister. They beat him up. And then Job ended up forgiving them and making sacrifice for them. That's what we're called to do. That's what your church is here for. We're asked to do some pretty hard things, aren't we? Yes, because we have to. Every time we do it, we have to die to ourselves and our flesh. You know, I I was telling some friends, I was a humble Jew and proud of it, but God just wanted me humble, so I had to drop that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, it does. It's um, it's it's a journey that God takes us through, and and I think. Some of your illustrations today have been really, really good. I mean, when Cece is getting her tonsils and adenoids taken out, the person that is most involved in that operation is the one she's blaming wasn't there. Right. You were a no-show. Actually, he was the key figure in that situation. He was. He was the most important person in that room that day. He was. I give a lot of credit to the anesthesiologist who puts kids under and the nurses and the staff, but he did the cutting. Yeah. And I think Cece finally realized it because she asked for his card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then this gentleman in an early uh, community Bible study small group that makes an anti-Semitic comment, and you, the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit, and you had to die to, die to yourself and say, i got to reach out in love and get to know this person. Yeah. And now you're friends today. Actually, Marcia and I giggled a little bit because we thought it was a setup. Nobody could be that blatant. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So. But he became a friend, and that's the key part. He was lonely. He became a friend, and it was really a good relationship. Mm-hmm. That's just giving people some grace, too, because there will be social awkwardness at times, and people will say things they can't take back, and, you know. We get offended easily, but we shouldn't. Right. Well, I offend people re- real easily. 
Yeah, you always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Tom, this has been great. I appreciate so much some of this discussion on um, your vulnerability and your story about your granddaughter and and what Job went through and how God calls us to be loving. It's really good. Right. Job is a great book. When my brother became a a, a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, he called me up and said, my favorite book that I've been reading in the Bible is Job. I mean, when he became a believer, his wife said, how could you do something so incredibly stupid? And then ended up divorcing him. But he loved God enough, and he saw that God was with him, and he stayed the course, and he stayed the course for 30-some years. Hmm. All right, Tom Berkowitz has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.